You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, guys? Welcome into Packers Total Access. My name is Clayton. You can check us out on Packernet.com. You can find me on Twitter at Packers underscore access. If you'd like to email the show, you can send a message to Packers Total Access at gmail.com. Uh, so the season is over, right? <laughs> I, I'm wondering if the dust has settled for everyone else. You know, I woke up this morning and uh, I say this morning because I'm recording this on Monday evening. Um, so you guys should have this go live, uh, Tuesday around noon central, um, woke up Monday morning and was like, man, was all that (laughs) real? And by all that, I don't just mean the loss. I mean, the comeback, right? I mean, the, uh, the little run the Packers went on there at the end of the season to give themselves a chance to make it to the postseason. Someone said it really, really well. Um, on, I believe it was on Twitter or maybe in the chat. It's like the, you know, they said, I'm not even upset with the loss. Um, although it sucks to see how it happened there at the end and, and the team kind of imploding. But, you know, like Aaron Rodgers pointed out in his press conference, uh, before this run they went on, basically what you seen last night was exactly what you seen before this run, you know. And he him taking responsibility for, um, you know, the mistakes he made, you know, throwing the interception, of course, which, man, I, I I've got a pretty strong opinion on that. Um, you know, I, I wish he hadn't thrown it. I wish he'd thrown it away and played for a fourth and 10, but there's a lot of things that came into play there. And and I'm not even just talking about the pressure on him. I'm, I'm not just, you know, talking about, did he, did he misread the safety? Um, you know, which in his comments he did, he said, you know, I, I seen the, the safety single high and thought I'd give Christian a, a shot. I just hung it up too long, but also man, schematically, like, uh, and there's been some people talk about that that last series, that last sequence of play calls, and I completely agree with it. It was just like, what were we thinking? You know, uh, the route got bumped off underneath, uh, to the best of my knowledge, and I still haven't gone back and watched that specific play, but I think there was three routes. There might have been a release underneath. I believe, if I remember correctly, there was three routes. And all three kind of looked like goes to me, right? Everything was covered up, and he had pressure in his face. They blitzed. They did it all night. Right, they decided to blitz, and that's one of the uh, one of the uh, the flaws to this Lafleur 
version of the McVeigh uh, version of the Shanahan system is, you know, I've said it time and time again this year that, you know, in the old West Coast offense, uh, the West Coast spread, I should say, um, you know, even even before before and after Mike McCarthy switched over to a zone blocking, you know, scheme system, whatever you want to say, as far as a run game. The progressions, man, if you read the progressions correctly, there was always going to be someone open. It was very, very seldom you go, man, everything's just covered up, throw it away. Um, and it's all about reading the defense the proper way, getting through the progressions, knowing the side adjustments, being accurate with the football, uh, being on time with the the reads and all those things. This LaFleur system's different. And and I'm not going to lie to any and everyone hearing my voice right now. Um, I've said it throughout the year. I don't like the way this system is unfolding. And it's amazing that the first two years, first really, really – three years. Um, I don't want to make the argument too convenient for my standpoint, but I mean, it is what it is. You can go back and watch the tape. This was a hybrid offense. The first two years, especially the third year, you start seeing a little bit more of LaFleur's system, but this year guys make no bones about it. This was LaFleur's system this year. We got our first heavy dose of Matt LaFleur's offensive scheme and the league has caught on to the McVeigh version of this scheme. I'm sorry, they have. Um, so we're really going to find out what Matt LaFleur is made of and how he adjusts in the offseason. <clears throat> Aaron said it in an interview in the offseason, this scheme is flawed, right? Um, if, you, if you're mad at him for saying that, then you're mad at him for being honest. And, you know, he's not saying that with the, the uh, you know, kind of the underlying standpoint of, you know, I know what's best. Listen to me, you silly coach. You don't understand what you're talking about. I didn't take it that way at all. I'm sure there are some haters that would. Um, but, I mean, the the fact of the matter is Aaron played pretty well last night until the fourth quarter. And he looked cold. He looked older. And he definitely didn't look like the Aaron Rodgers, you know, from the old days. Nor did I expect him to. Um, still finished the season as a top 10 QB. Um, is, you know, is that good enough to take this team? Absolutely not, right? Um, they're going to have to get better. They're going to have to change some things up, and they're going to have to get creative. I'm going to tell you something, man. Um, <laughs> the play calling last night was bad, guys. It was bad. Um, there was plenty of blame to go around. But when you've got a fourth and one and you're on your own, if I understood correctly, 34-yard line, and it is that early in the ball game, how you don't punt that ball is beyond me. Now, isn't it amazing that the Rodgers haters will say it was Aaron's idea to do it? The Aaron Rodgers apologists will say it was Matt LaFleur's idea to do it. But in all honesty, they have both worked together all year long on calling the plays and making those decisions. You know, Ryan talked about he got frustrated because on a fourth down, you could read Matt LaFleur's lips. I don't think it was that specific play, and everything was kind of a blur, <laughs> you know, looking back. But he said, do you want to punt here? You want to punt? Like he was, you want to punt? Why are you asking your quarterback if he wants to punt? You're the head coach. So this is a culture – 
that Matt LaFleur has created. And the easy way to talk, complain, explain, whatever you want to say, the easy way to do that is just to blame Aaron Rodgers because that seems to be the thing that people have done the last few years ever since the, the COVID vaccination status. That's what it all comes back to, um, in my opinion. So with all that being said, I don't want to sound somber, but we've got to talk about a little bit about what happened during that game. We're going to kind of wrap the season up here, put a little bowl on it, and then we're going to move on to the offseason, baby. And there's a lot to look forward to, and I'm really, really excited about it. So we're going to hear from Aaron Rodgers. There's a lot of people already trying to predict, is he retiring? Is he coming back? What does that comment mean? What does this comment mean? I'm going to try to not play the whole soundbite, but I want to uh, hit on a couple of things that kind of stood out to me. Um, mainly the uh, the comment about trying not to be egotistical. I hope when I get to that point of the show, I will remember it. But you guys know how I am. I'm as forgetful as they come. I will say this. There were a couple, several knuckleheads on Twitter this morning. Um, you know, obviously this morning being Monday, that just wanted to get on there and lash out. You know, I put a tweet up saying, hey, congratulations to the Lions. Everybody thought this was going to be a scrappy uh, you know, a hard team this year, and they proved that to be the case. And congratulations on the win. Had a Packer fan come at me, and, and they basically cussed me out and says they didn't even need to win that game. Shut up, you little whatever, <laughs> right? Um, which it's hilarious when people say stuff like that and they won't even list their real name on Twitter, right? It's funny how it's always those guys. It's never the person who has their information conveniently out there. But with that being said, um, other than just a, a, a few people that, that literally looked like children kicking and screaming, isn't it amazing that we went into that game going, man, I mean, it's not a slam dunk to beat Detroit, but it's pretty cool that we, you know, we had pretty much a playoff game against the Vikings, right? You come out and you boat race them and we got another chance at home to play what's pretty much a playoff game. You win and you're in and you got yourself back in a position to get in the playoffs and nothing's guaranteed. But then the second they lose, You've got these idiots literally acting like a kid who just had their toy taken away. It's it's funny, man. And, and I'm not talking about, like, young people. These are grown men <laughs> acting like that. So it's just strange to me. It's a strange, strange thing to see people. I, I like to feel like I'm as invested as anyone. I mean, you guys seen, um, you know, how <clears throat> how I fan this year, right? You know, I take a trip up once a year to Lambeau. I, I like to go up there and spend a little money there in the community and do some really cool things and uh, try to give back a little bit while we're there. Um, and then you got people on Twitter who probably haven't been to a game in their whole life, and they feel obligated to to just uh, try to bash any and everyone that, you know, may disagree or try to be positive. And that's all it was. That's called integrity, first of all. When you get beat – and another team's better than you, when you're on that field, when you're between the lines, no matter what sport you're playing or whatever it is you're competing at, I'm going to do everything I physically can to gain an advantage, right? And I'm going to scrap and claw to get that win right? or that whatever, you know, insert any everyday life, um, you know, uh, task. But when when the dust settles and it's over, you stand up, you shake hands, and you congratulate the winner, and you move on and you try to get better. It's that simple. Uh, why grown men have a have a hard time doing that's beyond me. 
But with that being said, let's talk about Quay Walker a little bit. That's been a big topic today, right? And I'm not going to read his apology. If you want to see it, you can find it on my Twitter at Packers underscore access. I, I retweeted it out. I thought it was a heartfelt apology. I told you guys on the post game show, if you guys got a chance to, uh, guys and gals got a chance to listen to that. Um, when it happened in the moment, it's furious, absolutely furious. And literally one minute later, as he's walking down the tunnel, I immediately felt horrible for the guy because you could tell he was just like so disappointed in himself that he let his teammates down. He let his coaches down. He let the fans down. Right. And, uh, man, I've been there. I've been young and, and I did a lot more stupid, you know, a lot, a lot worse things, right. than barely shove a trainer. Now I'm not saying that he shouldn't have been ejected. The rules are real simple, right? If, if they don't enforce those rules strictly, then things will get out of hand really, really quick. And you're talking about world-class athletes, huge human beings, strong, fast, agile, and and if it if that becomes okay, then the next thing will become okay. And then next thing you know, somebody's getting hurt, right? Yeah, somebody being a trainer or, or just you know someone like that. But like Coach Lafleur pointed out, it was a college teammate he was checking on that was on the ground. Evidently, somebody was on the ground that was a college teammate. Now I don't I don't remember even who the person was that got tackled. I should have pulled that information. I just didn't want to spend a whole lot of time on this because it's been talked about so much on Twitter, uh, you know, uh, throughout the day on Monday. But Matt said he was checking on a teammate, right? That was the concern. Now, this trainer walks up and puts his hand on Quay first. Quay's standing there. And I'm sorry. I'm just going to say it. Officials sometimes try to take over the game. And sometimes you've got people like this that seek attention. They want to be in the limelight. I'm not suggesting that's what he was doing. But the fact of the matter is he walks up. Quay literally went, you know, 110 miles an hour on the play before. He's gassed. He's out of breath. He's amped up. The adrenaline's rushing. He's out there to make a tackle. His job is to physically, physically abuse other human beings every time he's on the field. And then all of a sudden, the whistle blows dead. He looks down. He says, okay, you know, somebody on the ground, somebody's hurt. And then somebody comes up and puts their hand on the chest and pushes him away. And here's the part that bothers me. As I go back and watch it, it seemed a lot, a lot harder, a lot worse in real time. When I go back and watch it, guys, there's people on Twitter. I had one person tweet at me and say that he assaulted the man. Assaulted him? Like, they're acting as if Quay could have killed this man by barely shoving him in the back. He didn't even shove him hard enough to fall down. He just gave him a little push, like, get your hand off of me. Now, he deserved to be ejected. There deserved to be a 15-yard penalty for all the reasons I just mentioned. But can we please stop with the overdramatic BS as if this man's life was in danger because Quay gave him a shove back? like. I have more of a problem with Devontae, uh, with uh, Devontae Wyatt's reaction than Quay's. Quay's was spur of the moment. Devontae Wyatt stares him up and down, walks over three yards, mean mugs him, gives him a little chest bump <laughs> to the trainer. I, I have more of a problem with that than I did Quay, to be honest with you. But I don't know, man. It was just a tough situation, and and I think that the apology was heartfelt. I wanted to hit on it because, like I said, it was a, a topic that was talked about a lot, and uh, I feel like we needed to cover it. 
Now, Quay finished the season, um, I'm trying to think, I think it was 121 tackles, which, if I remember correctly, put him six shy of A.J. Hawk. Now, A.J. Hawk did it with 16 games. Obviously, Quay had eight or had 17 games to do it. However, he only started 16, so I probably want to dig into the snap count to see how legit that was as far as how close as he was. I'm not a big tackle stat person. Tackles are the result of playing schematically sound, being in the right place, being disciplined, and finishing the play with good technique, okay? So it's a result of good play. But I've seen some bad linebackers get a lot of tackles. Roquan Smith is one to mention. Roquan Smith was treated as if he was a superstar. PFF always graded him low. You could watch the tape and see what PFF was seeing. However, he was a tackle machine, right? Um, So kind of give and take with that. I don't think Quay had a great rookie campaign. He showed flashes, um, had a couple of games that he put together. I think he is a starting caliber linebacker moving forward. I'm excited to see what happens with uh, an entire offseason under his belt. I think that's going to be a lot of fun. Um, But, again, just wanted to kind of hit on that. Let's move on to Christian Watson. I'm mentioning these guys because these are high, high picks from the previous draft. Quay Walker, Devontae Wyatt and Christian Watson. We'll talk about Devontae Wyatt here in a minute. We're going to hit on the season-long PFF grades, kind of wrap the season up, and then we'll lay out a blueprint for what you can expect on this podcast in the offseason as well as um, some offseason dates. But Christian Watson. um, Christian Watson obviously started off kind kind of rocky, right? He's dealing with the floating cartilage. We talked about that with his mother, Krista, on the show. Um Finally gets on the field, gets banged up a little bit more. He had the big drop there in Minnesota, obviously, the you know first game of the season. But you talk about someone who rebounded mentally. I mean, mental toughness is what Christian Watson has. Not only did he turn into or prove to be the speed demon that we thought he was, but he can win jump ball catches, which we've seen on the free play that Aaron Rodgers created early in the season in the, in the back left corner of the end zone, right, the jump play, the jump ball. You've seen him go up um, – I wouldn't say over a defender, but make a possession catch uh, uh, Sunday night against the Lions. Clutch situation. Came down with a 50-50 ball. Check it off. the Check the box, right? He's got the speed. We've seen it this year. I think he was clocked at 22 miles an hour this year, I believe. I know it was at least 21. The speed translated over. Sometimes that doesn't happen when you put the football pads on and you get to the NFL, um, especially if it's a one-trick pony. Chris, Christian Watson is a real deal. Here's how I know. His PFF grades are trending up, and we'll talk about his final PFF grade here in just a second. But the PFF grade, to me, if someone has a high PFF grade and it's a result-driven position, running back, wide receiver, quarterback, the numbers will follow. That's exactly what happened with Christian Watson this year. I'm going to compare him to Devontae Adams. This came from uh, Zach Cruz on Twitter, (coughs) and – Devontae Adams, I'm just going to kind of run the comparison down here, okay? Devontae Adams, his rookie year in 2014, he played in 16 games. Christian Watson only played in 14. Devontae Adams had 738 snaps. Christian Watson only had 507. So Devontae had, what is it, 231 more snaps than Christian Watson, right? So, I mean, you're talking about – I feel very, very comfortable saying that's four games worth of more snaps, right? 
like, well, let's say last night, right? Last night he got over 50 snaps, and he pretty much played the entire game. So, yeah, 50 times four, right, going to put you over 200. So that's a pretty conservative way of saying four less games, right, on an average basis of the amount of snaps that he would play as a starter. I mean, that's pretty significant. 738 snaps for Adams, 507 for Watson. Why do I mention that? Shouldn't we break down the targets? That's a great idea. Glad you brought it up. Devontae Adams, 66 targets. Christian Watson, 66 targets. The same amount of targets that Devontae Adams got, right? Christian, Christian got his rookie year this year. Now, let's go to receptions. Devontae Adams, 38 receptions. Christian Watson, 41. He had three more receptions than Devontae Adams his rookie year. Receiving yards, Devontae Adams, 446. Receiving yards for Christian Watson, 611. Had somebody on Twitter say, yeah, but look at the, the receiving core he was playing with, Devontae Adams. That's why he didn't have as many uh, as many catches. What are you talking about? That means those other receivers were drawing coverage away from Devontae Adams. Shouldn't his numbers be better? That's the way I look at that, right? And, again, Christian Watson, 611 yards. Devontae Adams, only 446. Receiving touchdowns. Devontae Adams, three touchdowns. Christian Watson, seven. So we had four more touchdowns. Total touchdowns. Devontae only had the three receiving touchdowns. Christian Watson also had two rushing touchdowns. So he had nine total touchdowns. This is a really cool statistic. For those people that were saying, well, you know, he, he, he had other guys he was competing against. That means they were drawing coverage away from him when he was on the field. Passer rating when targeted, Devontae Adams, 87.5. The quarterback's passer rating was 87.5 when he targeted Devontae Adams. Christian Watson's, 121.5. Guys, you could probably hear it in my voice. I am surprised these numbers are this good. And I try not to look at statistics too much during the season. I like to follow grades, look at the tape myself. And, and that kind of lay out the foundation for, okay, here's how good or bad a player is playing. If you look at it at the end of the season, now you've got the results in front of you. I mean, that's that's pretty impressive, 121.5 quarterback rating when he was targeted. That's exciting. Devontae Adams in 2014, rookie year, yards per catch, 11.7. Christian Watson, 14.9. So 3.2 yards per catch more than Devontae Adams. Yards per target, 6.8 for Adams, 9.3 for Watson. Guys, this is – are you excited yet? This kid is the real deal. Like, now listen, anybody can go stupid at any moment. I have a hard time believing that Christian would because this guy has his head on straight. Getting a chance to get to know his family a little bit, um, you know, chatting and obviously interviewing – He's 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 brung up from a hardworking family, and they're a tight-knit family, and that goes a long way, too. Typically, people who come from a tight-knit family gel very well with others, right? Even in business. You know, one of the things that when I would look for a business partner in, in an endeavor or um, any kind of project I was working on, I, one of the things I would ask is, have you ever played any team sports? Because what I'm looking for is someone who can work well with others, right? That stuff matters. Christian Watson has that attitude. I'm not going to play his his uh, post-game interview from last night, but it was impressive. The dude was depressed. He was so upset 
You could just hear it in his voice. He was so somber. He has everything to be excited about with his personal statistics and the game he had. He graded out higher than anyone else, PFF-wise, last night in the entire Packers roster, to the best of my knowledge. But he he was tore up that the Packers got eliminated. That's a great sign, right? Um, so, again, yards per target, 6.8 for Adams, 9.3 for Watson. Catch percentage, Adams 57.6, Christian Watson 62.1. First downs, Adams 23, Christian Watson 28. Guys, he beat Devontae Adams' rookie numbers in every single statistical category that I just read off to you with having only 507 snaps to Devontae Adams' 738. That's exciting. What am I trying to say here? We're getting ready to start the offseason. We have a number one receiver. Notice I didn't say we have our number one receiver. I said we have a number one receiver. Because the one thing I had to eat crow on all year long is coming to the realization that a team has to have a number one wide receiver. You can't skate by. But also, the great teams, the great offenses this year, have two number one receivers, or at least a solid one and a solid two. What I'm trying to say is we cannot stop there. We need another number one wide receiver, preferably through the draft and someone that would be quite a bit cheaper, obviously, with a rookie contract. That's the beautiful thing about Christian Watson, guys. He's under contract for four years, four years on a second-round deal. Like, that is phenomenal, right? Now, a lot of people are probably hearing what I'm saying. They're going, Romeo Dobbs. Romeo Dobbs is that guy. I don't believe he is. Can he be? Absolutely. Did you guys watch the game? I mean, there was two two crucial drops he had, right? One of which Aaron, like I said on the postgame show, he probably stubbed his fingers. The ball hit him literally right in the hands, and he, and he wasn't even looking for it, right? Um, that's why I say it wasn't just Aaron throwing the pick at the end. It wasn't just Aaron Jones fumbling the ball. It wasn't just Matt LaFleur's bad calls. It wasn't just Romeo Dobbs's drop. Um, it was, you know, there was a couple other drops as well. It, it wasn't just the fact that Keyshawn Nixon couldn't get anything going to run game, return game, which we talked about it going into the game. Detroit has one of the best special teams kickoff coverages in the entire league. Um, it wasn't just all that. It wasn't just one of those things. It was all of those things together. We went right back to square one before the run we went on. And like Aaron said, like Matt LaFleur said, they, we just didn't play complimentary football. But Romeo Dobbs has not proven to me he's that answer. He can be a solid number three, and he's shown flashes, and I love his attitude. He's a keeper. I, I, I tweeted the video out of him watching himself. <laughs> you know, somebody uh, – it was actually Dusty Evely. If you guys aren't following Dusty, Dusty Evely, go find him on Twitter, man. He is a phenomenal follow. Um, but he was watching the All-22, caught the victory celebration. Like I said, he's the only madman that would watch the All-22 of victory formation. But Dobbs was dancing in the backfield. They caught him doing it. They showed him the video. And, and just to see his genuine uh, – he's he's very humble. He's very, you know, excited when when he talks as far as, you know, something like that. It just kind of, I don't know, gets his uh, – what am I trying to say? His sense of humor going, right? Um, I think he's a great kid. I think he can be a solid number three and potentially a number one one day. I just don't think he's there just yet. I'm excited to see what a full offseason will do for him. But, again, Christian Watson, man, kudos to Goody. We got us one there, and that's really, really exciting, really exciting. So 
Let's talk about PFF grades on the year here. Offensively, this is for the entire season, guys. Let's see who graded out the best, okay? I'm only going to go 70 and above for the sake of time. And the, the whole purpose of this is who on this list is not coming back and do we need to fill that void and do it quickly? <clears throat> Number one, 85.9, Aaron Jones. He is under contract to come back next year. Number two, A.J. Dillon, 81.4, under contract to return next year. Number three, David Bakhtiari, left tackle, 79.7, with an 87.8 elite pass blocking grade. He got healthier as the year went on. Obviously, uh, you know, I was listening to his presser earlier. I was going to play it for you guys, but I didn't want to bore you with the audio. Uh, basically said, hey, look, no surgeries are scheduled. We're ready to roll. Went through three surgeries last year. He seems to be back. I'm excited about that. So that is a top-tier position on offense, in my opinion. 79.7, that's exciting. Number four, this is where it's going to get good. Quarterback Jordan Love. Only 26 snaps, but he grades out of 78.7. Guys, that is better than grading out low. I'm excited to see what Jordan can do in the future, for sure. Here's the big one. Aaron Rodgers at number five, 77.5. Ooh, Jordan Love outplayed him. Yeah. And Aaron had 1,040 more snaps than Jordan Love. So, please, I want Jordan Love to be the next franchise quarterback more than anyone. But we got to take that into – put that into perspective. But, again, it's good news that Jordan graded out the way he did. Number six, Christian Watson, 77.1. Guys, that is very exciting. Very, very exciting. When you run down the numbers, and he outperformed Devontae Adams his rookie year, right, with uh, 200 and, you know, however many, 30, whatever it was, less snaps, he outperforms him number-wise, and then the PFF grade suggests that he's a 77.1 as a rookie. We got us something, gang. We got us something. We got a number one wide receiver. We need another one. That's what we need. Um up next, guard Elton Jenkins improved all year long. He's now up to a 72.3 is where he finished. That's exciting. And then Randall Cobb at a 70.1. He is not set to return. So out of all those players that graded out 70 and above, right, you got Zach Tom at a 68.3. It's worth mentioning. Obviously, he's coming back just a rookie this year. That might be your future right tackle. I don't know how they'll handle that this offseason. It might be something they want to see him at right tackle all offseason long, but I don't think there's anything wrong with going trying to find a veteran um, right tackle that you can plug and play and use Zach Tom in that filler row like they did here down the stretch. Um, but, again, out of those top ten, only two are not set to return, and that's uh, Randall Cobb. Actually, that's the only one, Randall Cobb, right? Let's look. Yeah, Randall Cobb is the only one that's not returning. As of right now, he doesn't have a contract. I feel safe saying, uh, you know, that if Aaron comes back, there's a chance Cobb comes back. There's also a chance that, you know, with Cobb role kind of being diminished, only 371 snaps, um, that he, you know, he could retire too. You know, every not everything's off – nothing's off the table, I should say. So, to me, that's exciting. Your top grading players, right, are all coming back with the exception of one in Randall Cobb. and. Again, Randall Cobb is not a number one wide receiver. He's more of a slot receiver. So there's really no loss there. Now, some of you are going, yeah, but the offense didn't play well. I completely agree. But the foundation is set. The goal is to identify your weak spots, right, and turn those weak spots into positives. 
while taking into consideration those elite positions, quarterback and left tackle. If Aaron decides to come back, right, if he decides to come back, then I feel confident he's going to play better next year than he did this year. I don't think he's going to regress worse. I truly don't. Now, was it the thumb that kind of threw everything off this year and he couldn't mentally get it back once he once he recovered from it? That's possible. This could have been the cliff, too. It's funny. It's the cliff, but he's still a top-10 quarterback. Uh, with that being said, if we have to move on to Jordan Love and Aaron decides to retire, which we'll get to his comments here in a second, um, I don't think we're in horrible shape there. But what do you want to do? Just like Ryan had mentioned, you got to find a right tackle for the future and button that up. We got a decent right guard. We got a decent center. We got a great left guard. We got a great left tackle. We need a right tackle. We need to button that up as soon as possible. Maybe you do that in the draft. Maybe you do it in free agency, right? And isn't it amazing? I'm not sitting here going, guys, we don't have any money. That's the silliest thing. Like, it, literally, there's there's 40 million in simple restructures and a maximum of over 70 million that they can restructure contracts and free up cap space. There's money that's going to be spent. We just got a several questions of, are these players going to return at the cap hit they got? Is there going to be restructures um, to keep these guys in-house? Are they going to be outright cut the free up cap? And will that create a new hole? But, again, I think uh, you gotta, you got to bolster right tackle. You need a starting tight end, and you need a, another number one receiver slash number two receiver. Okay, so my top needs on offense would definitely be right tackle, wide receiver, and tight end. Now, in the draft, there's going to be plenty of time to talk about it. That's going to be a part of our offseason. I'm really excited about that. Um, if we decide to – let's say you're sitting in the draft and you have someone in your top tier at the quarterback position, drop, take them. Take a quarterback. You know, Worst-case scenario, you have two good quarterbacks in Jordan Love. This is assuming that, that Rodgers might, might retire. Then you'll have Jordan Love and you'll have someone – that you feel can be a starting caliber quarterback as well, you know, why not, right? So that's the one X factor there. Um, if they have a higher draft grade according to Goody's grade scale than Jordan Love had, and it might be significantly higher, they drop in the draft to him, you probably take them. Because like Greg Cosell says, there's two drafts that happen every April. There's a quarterback draft, and then every other position is drafted. They're two separate drafts. There really are. Quarterback has so much value, it carries so much value that you can jump them one tier. What that means is you may have players at, a, at different positions, right, that that uh, that grade out a tier higher than your top-tier quarterback, but one tier sits equal with the current tier, if that makes sense. When it comes to the quarterback position, it's that important. That's what he means by there's two separate drafts. Every the quarterback draft and then every other position draft. So just wanted to mention that about the uh, – PFF grades, that's kind of how it's stacked out. We could talk about the worst grades of returning players. If I scrolled the list, um, here's some that come to mind. Royce Newman, 57.5, obviously lost a starting job. Robert Tunyon, 57.7, he is not returning, which tells me you're probably not going to go after him in free agency unless you get a really, really good deal. Even then, I probably wouldn't go after him. Um, trying to see here. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view 
on all possible cards and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy slab packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. Yeah, that's pretty much it. You know, the offense was was kind of was mediocre, right? All year long. Josh Myers, that that is kind of an ugly PFF. I mean, he did a lot better pass blocking, but a 60.5. I could see I could see there being a case made for another interior offensive lineman, you know. I could see that. So let's move on to defense. Defensively, Rashawn Gary granted only 378 snaps. I think we would all agree um, when he comes back from that ACL. When it when when it will be, who knows? I used to be the guy going, "Oh no, he's a hard worker. He can make it back quick." I am done with that mentality after what happened to Bach and Elton Jenkins because that did not go as planned at all. We just mentioned Robert Tunyon, which who who played a seemed seemed as if he played a pretty decent game um, there Sunday night. Had the the jump ball and then had the uh, you know yeah the he just he kind of showed up. You know he had the touchdown catch against Minnesota. He kind of turned it on late, but he was coming off an ACL as well, and it took a little bit longer than we kind of anticipated. But Rashawn Gary, eighty two point nine. We're good there. As soon as he heals up, I think he's going to be fine. Jair Alexander, 80.3. Rudy Ford, 77.7. Devondre Campbell, 72.7. Rasul Douglas, 71.1. Um, and then you got Devontae Wyatt, 70.5. Now, those are all, to the best of my knowledge, let's talk about who's returning. Gary's returning. Alexander's returning. Rudy Ford is not as of right now. Campbell, Rasul Douglas, Devontae Wyatt. Those are all under contract. So the one there is Rudy Ford. Um, I'm trying to think of what number I would put on Rudy Ford as a free agent. I think you let him test the market. I'm not sure if other teams would value him the way the Packers would. Let him test the market, set your number, and know, okay, if he beats that number, we're not going that high and get really aggressive in free agency to go out and, and really try to land a stud safety, either in free agency or the draft. The, the only problem with that approach, in my opinion, <clears throat> is Rudy Ford knows the system, right? Rudy Ford's already trained up. Rudy Ford's only going to get better in this scheme. He's already comfortable with the surroundings at Lambeau. He's already played um, with what, would, as of right now, will be the starting safety next to him, Darnell Savage, which if Savage continues to play in the slot, then you've definitely got to get another safety in here. I think that should be the case. Savage played good last night. Um, now, it's only just a couple of games where he came on strong. When you look at his grade – for the year, let me see if I can find him here. I'd like to know exactly where he finished because it was bad. 47.5, guys. That's uh that's a bad look. You got to go out and get a safety. I think you got to re-sign Rudy Ford, right? 
You've got Savage as the backup, you know, the, the guy who can play slot, but also slide in a pinch and play safety deep um, just to kind of fill that role. But you've got to get aggressive with safety on defense for sure. So when you look at it from that perspective, I'd like to see them re-sign Rudy Ford, go after a safety, and then who were the players that graded out really bad? What's the 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 bad news this year was Adrian Amos graded out as a fifty four point two, Darnell Savage graded out as a forty seven point five. So again, Amos fifty four point two. That's the bad news. You know what the good news is? Amos graded out as a fifty four point two, and he's going to be a free agent. So you can only get better filling that void, in my opinion. I cannot think of another safety. I mean, let's look at what Goody did this year. He signed Rudy Ford off the street, right? Rudy Ford played at a 77.7. He signed, um, let's see here, or he drafted Tariq Carpenter. Minimal snaps, but he graded as a 63.4. Now, I'm not suggesting he should be the starter, right? But it's just, uh, you know, kind of how that hit. Heck, even uh, Dallin Levitt, right, a 59.9. Minimal snaps, but you've seen Dallin Levitt on on, uh, special teams. So, Everybody graded out better than Amos. That's going to be addition by subtraction. I really believe that. Whoever they bring in, I think, will play better than Amos did this year, so you can improve there for sure. Who's another name that kind of comes to comes to mind down here at the bottom as far as a starter? Quay Walker, 52.4. Remember what I said about the tackles, right? And he didn't even grade out that well with tackle grade. He did not have a good year, guys, but, again, I wanted to point out the whole shoving thing because there's a lot of people that are coming down this dude. He's 21, 22 years old, whatever it is. He's still a freaking kid. And I understand it was his second time. And I was as as mad about it as anybody, especially, you know, watching the game live. But come on, dude, let's give each other a little bit of slack here, a little bit of room to grow. And let's please stop pretending like he murdered a freaking trainer when all he did was gave him a little push. So um, Eric Stokes, 53.7. There's a lot of things, a lot of players, you know, and, and Stokes should be healthy for the season opener, I would imagine. Um, Dean Lowry, 59.3, but he's not returning as of right now. So find you a defensive line that can plug in. I know Devontae Wyatt had a great game last night. Devontae Wyatt grading out as a 70.5. That should be your second down lineman in what we the majority of the time run, which is that nickel 245. You've got your two defensive linemen. Kenny Clark, 66.4, not a good year. There should be some restructure going on with his contract there. Um, I wouldn't say they would consider outright uh, cutting him, but the amount of cap space that goes involved, I'm pretty sure he's pretty well protected this season coming up, but it'd probably be next year before um, they would think about, you know, kind of cutting loose from him. But Devontae Wyatt has earned the reps. He needs to be a starting defensive lineman. Uh, it's only 224 snaps, but, guys, he, I think he played 34 snaps last night or, or Sunday night and graded out really, really well in that game. So I think we've got something in Devontae Wyatt. Obviously, we have something there in Christian Watson. Let's hope that Quay Walker can take all that raw talent and ability, which that's what we talked about on draft night, guys. We None of us had Quay Walker anywhere near a spot on our horizontal boards for the Packers to justify taking him with that pick in which they did. And why did they do it? Because of the raw talent and ability, the physical nature, he's you know he's just he's a, he's a physical freak with the quickness, the speed, all those things, the strength, the agility, the jumping, all that, all that. But what what goes into my board big time is PFF grades and personal opinion of these players from scouts that I trust. Um, you know, people like Greg Cosell, Daniel Jeremiah, folks like that, and they were right. 
They got it right and Goody got it wrong. Can he turn it around? Let's hope so. But let's please not pretend like just because he almost set the rookie tackle record that Quay Walker is this amazing stud that's just going to be a perennial all-pro, right? There's no reason to believe that at the moment. So I just wanted to hit on those, kind of lay the foundation, because what we're going to do on a podcast later on here as we get into the offseason, we're going to build the roster out and talk about who is returning, talk about how much cap space we have, which we'll kind of hit on that here in a second, just a touch before we wrap up. But that's uh, that's kind of the, the early dose of what are we looking at this offseason as we begin to look at the roster as it sits today, where are the holes we need to fill, and what's the game plan to fill those holes, right? And this show, what we want to do is come from the approach of like we're looking at it through the front office's eyes, right? And with that being said, the first thing we got to handle this offseason is Aaron Rodgers. Is Aaron Rodgers returning? That's the big question, right? I've already heard people say he's holding them hostage. I'm tired of him holding them hostage every year. What are you talking about? He hasn't held anybody hostage up to this point. The Green Bay Packers front office absolutely begged Aaron Rodgers to come back. Aaron Rodgers was wanting to be traded. Like, that was a short time ago. That's been proven fact now. That wasn't just BS that was, you know, uh, drawn up by the media. You guys know how I feel about the media. If they say something that's a lie, I'm going to jump in there and go, hey, look, that's a freaking lie because they drive me crazy 99.9% of the time. But it's a proven fact that there was a fracture between Rodgers and the front office. And during that fracture, he goes out and wins back-to-back MVPs. Well, they came and begged him back. You heard the LaFleur soundbite that I never want to hear again for the rest of my life where he sounded like he was almost in tears saying, I want him back in the worst way. Brian Gutekind said, there's absolutely no chance that we trade Aaron Rodgers. He made that firm. Mark Murphy came out at the owner's meeting and said, this guy's done so much for the franchise, we want him in Green Bay. They begged him to come back. Stop with the nonsense that he's holding them hostage. you got to look. They made the decision. If you want to say that's a bad decision, I respect that opinion, and I can kind of see your point to a certain extent. But let's look, come on. Let's not lie and pretend like he's holding them hostage. Here was a, the final question that was asked to Aaron Rodgers in his presser after what might have been his last game, guys. There's a good chance. Uh, right now, if I were to gauge it, I'd say there's a 60% chance he retires. That's the vibe I've got. No insider information, just me going off a gut feeling. That's what I feel like we're probably facing with Aaron Rodgers. More likely he's going to retire than come back is just the vibe I get. But he was asked a question here at the end. There was a couple things he hit on that I'm not going to play, uh, one of which they asked him, would it need to be mutual interest? And he said yes. And he said, the only reason I say that, and I'm paraphrasing, but he said the only reason I say it's because if if I say no, it's not mutual. It's it's simply my decision, and they definitely want me back. Then it comes across as egotistical. That's what he said. So he's basically saying, look, I have to answer the question this way because if I don't, you think I'm an egomaniac, and that's what you're going to go write in your stories, right? But <clears throat> although he's had differences with people in this room, I want you to listen to the answer to this question. As they asked him, "What if this if this was your last game? What is it you're going to miss?" Here was his answer. This is it, Aaron. Last um, one. Is it last time out there? Last time here? What are you going to miss? Tears up.
I'm going to miss your questions, Bill. <laughs> and Mike Clemens taking 10 seconds to do a lead up. And Pete angling for something. And Bob writing stories about my personal life. <laughs> You've been good lately, though. Thanks. And Jason bringing it back home with something that's kind of heavy hitting. Stephanie Sutton coming out of left field. The good question. I miss the guys. I miss the fans. Yeah. Thank you. That was the mic drop. He names off by name media members there in the room that's covered his entire career for the most part. And he said, I'm going to miss the guys. I'm going to miss the fans. Um, he's seriously contemplating retirement. And here's here's how I stand on it. If Aaron Rodgers retire, wants to retire, go retire, dude. You've earned it. Thank you for everything you've done. If Aaron Rodgers wants to return, Aaron Rodgers has a right to return. Oh, you can't say that. Nobody has a right to return. Hey, <laughs> they committed to him for three years. We got to take that medicine. Now, they asked him at another point, is there a chance that you could be traded? And he said, I, I don't ever want to say never, right, because we've seen that happen. We've seen that happen all year long where you think that there's no chance that a player can be traded and then lo and behold, somehow they make it work. I know the salary cap is deadly and it's just so, boy, it was hilarious on Twitter today. My God, all of the doom and gloomers, the salary cap experts on Twitter, there's several of them. It's funny. Everybody keeps tagging this one guy as if the world revolves around him. And every time I say something, I'm talking about him and we don't even follow each other. We don't, as a matter of fact, I had to mute him because everybody would mention him anytime I talk salary cap, which it's hilarious. I ain't even going to get into it. It is what it is, whatever. I never respond to those tweets because I'm like, why does this guy always get brought up? Like, and it's mostly people prodding, trying to start an argument. 90% of the time, it's somebody who can't stand him and they try to bring him up and try to get me to argue X's or argue numbers with him. And I'm not going to do it. Because with Rodgers' contract, we don't know all the details. We don't know the optional aspect if he retires and, and what's going to happen. What we do know is they gave him the stability and structure for three years. The team is going to go to him. This is how I hope they handle it. I hope the team goes to him and says, Aaron, what do you want to do? What day, what deadline do you want to set to give us your decision? We want you back. Do you want to come back? It's that simple. We're not going to try to talk you into coming back. This is your decision, right? But tell us what you want to do. That's the way they should approach it. And if he does walk away, he's on the books next year against the cap. Again, I'm not going to get into total guaranteed salary and how this falls and that falls. All I care about is the salary cap. If that bothers you, if it bothers you that all I care about is the cap hits when it comes to contracts, then, hey, get your salary cap information somewhere else. I don't buy into the, the just the nonsense, the wasted energy and effort. Aaron Negler said it best one day on, on his podcast. He said, do we really have to talk salary cap? Because three years ago, all we heard was how the, the Smith brothers was going to ruin this salary cap. And then lo and behold, this year we offer, he didn't say Devontae, but he's like, and it didn't happen. And we wasted all of that time talking about it, all that energy of how the salary cap's going to catch us. The salary cap's going to it still hasn't caught us. It still hasn't caught anyone across the league. 
If they want to sign a player, they'll sign a player. The Saints were that team, right? And then they go out in free agency and sign multiple people. How did they sign multiple people? If the Packers' salary cap was ruined, how did we offer Devontae Adams more money than the Raiders did? Explain that to me. Well, it's because they're putting it on a credit card. Okay, dude. Okay. And next year, this offseason, the Packers will sign players just like we signed a multitude of our own free agents when we when we decided when Devontae went to Vegas, we shifted to plan B. We re-signed Rasul. Where did that money come from? We signed Devondre Campbell. Where did that money come from? Like, how many times are people going to trick you with that doom and gloom nonsense? Now, the salary cap is real. I'm not a salary cap is fake guy. The salary cap is real. It mainly applies to deadlines. You have to have your ducks in a row to get under that salary cap by a certain day, and the better you are at planning that, which that's one thing that Goody dropped the ball on, was he thought that Devontae Adams would break, and he didn't, and that's how we were left with this void. I put that on Goody. Now, Devontae Adams made the decision. A lot of people right now are probably – you've heard me in the past say, hey, look, they wanted him back. Devontae didn't want to come back. That's true. But the way they handled it two years ago, see what I mean by time-sensitive? That's where it comes into play, okay? But it can be manipulated and maneuvered to fit however you want to, you know, fit it into play. Like Derek Carr, the main reason Devontae Adams went there is because they gave Derek Carr um, or, uh, the security of a new contract. Okay, the security of that new contract, David uh, Derek Carr, if he is released, it goes from a $30, million, $30 plus million dollar cap hit down to five. See what I'm saying? One year ago, Derek Carr is going to be in Vegas for the rest of his career with Devontae Adams. Now, all of a sudden, Derek Carr is going to another team. Now, of course, Derek Carr, to the best of my knowledge, has a no-trade clause, which means he can waive that trade no-trade clause for the team of his choice. Um, I understand that business aspect, but please, guys, don't buy into the, the doom and gloom of the salary cap. So Aaron is 31.6 in cap hit, a heck of a rant. When all I was trying to point out was his cap hit next year. I apologize. Aaron Rodgers' cap hit next year is a $31.6 million cap hit. If he retires, there are some people, notice I'm not guaranteeing, just like none of the cap gurus will guarantee. There are some people that suggest that they can uh, handle his contract date-sensitive-wise and remove that down to a $15.8 million cap hit for next season. Okay, What does that mean? That means they're going to free up $15 million. Okay, so if Aaron Rodgers retires, that's the, the whole point of mentioning this. Now, I apologize. The voice is really starting to go on me here. If Aaron Rodgers retires this year, a good guesstimate, not set in stone. We won't know until the entire deal would be done. The transaction will be made for him retirement, filing, firing the papers. We'll know all of the uh, optional aspects because like we had mentioned, like Russ, uh, like uh, Andrew Brandt, and uh, Mark Rogers, Russell Wilson's agent, mentioned earlier, there's only two people, two two groups that know what Aaron Rodgers' contract truly is from an optional standpoint of the stipulations of this one plus a two with the option of a three comment that Aaron made, and that is David Dunn, Aaron's agent, and Russ Ball slash Brian Gutekunst slash Mark Murphy, the Packers' front office. Those are the only people that know. So don't let people fool you. But 
around $15 million would be freed up. Right now, we're plus $2 million. The last I checked, I don't have Spotrack or over the cap pulled up. Um, my understanding is we're $2 million under the cap right now. So that means we would go into the offseason if he retired with all of a sudden having uh, right around $18 million in cap space before restructures. So we're going in with $18 million to spend. We can do simple restructures all the way to the point of $40 million with maximum restructure value of over $70 million. So let's keep it at 40. You know what? Let's play it conservative and say simple restructures freeing up 30 million. Do you understand that the Packers in the blink of an eye and some people were going, well, why would a player restructure? It's because you're converting salary, uh, salary that's, uh, um, you know, insecure. It's uh, not guaranteed. You're converting that to signing bonus money, which now turns into guaranteed money. And they get that money up front, bang. But you're able to spread that out over a multitude of years. That's what I mean by the simple restructures. That's why a player always jumps at the opportunity because you're basically going, hey, rather than us cutting you and you not getting the money, what if we cut you a check right now? That cool with you? It's a loophole that needs to be closed in the NFL salary cap, in my opinion, to keep the league as competitive as it has been in the past and to make things a little more simplified. But right now, that's the game you got to play to compete. It is what it is right now. It's how the Rams won the Super Bowl last year. Okay. Um, so with all that being said, $18 million in cap space with an additional $40 million in simple restructures. Let's play it conservative and say they're just going to free up $20 million, right? Then that means you've got $40 million in cap space you can spend this offseason. Do you understand why now that I get so aggravated when people are dishonest and go running their jaw acting like salary cap gurus? It drives me insane because all it does is splits the fan base and it creates this scenario of doom and gloom. And it's funny, the same people that do this, they never have anything positive to say about the Packers or the organization. They don't have anything positive to say about Aaron. They don't have anything positive to say about LaFleur. They don't have anything positive to say about the general manager. All it is is, I told y'all this was going to happen. Look, look at their salary cap situation. And then, lo and behold, the next season, we're starting the season with a new roster, with new additions. They went out and spent money. Restructures happened, and it's just like and, – and they don't mention it. They move right on. Guess what they move on to? The next year. And how, look, the Packers have kicked the can down the road. They slid another credit card. It's silly. It's absolutely silly. So I just wanted to hit on that comment by Rodgers. I didn't I didn't want to play that to be dramatic. I thought it was cool that he mentioned the media that he's kind of had this riff with. It almost feels like he's burying the hatchet a little bit. And then also um, he'll mention he's going to miss his teammates. He's going to miss the fans. But the main reason I wanted to play it was because it kind of feels like Rodgers might be on his way out. Um, I hope that's not the case personally. And if you're shaking your head going, I disagree with you, hey, I respect that. And you've got you've got an argument to make there. I get it. Um, it's not like he came out and played gangbuster this year. Again, he was a top 10 quarterback. But we're used to him being a top three, if not the best quarterback in the entire league. So I completely understand with that. Um, so with that being said, let's look ahead to the draft just a little bit, okay? Um, this is before compensatory picks. So these are the early pick positions for the Green Bay Packers in the NFL draft, okay? And I want to mention this real quick. We're going to get it out of here. As of right now, we are picking 15th overall. That's pretty exciting. It really is. Um, 
you can get a solid pick there. You get the 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 right caliber player to slide. You've got a chance. There's a good chance the Packers will can and will draft a top tier on their board at the number 15 pick. Almost always happens at that 15 spot. Now, <clears throat> if you're if you're saying no, well, Clayton, there's not. How do you know there's going to be 15 top tier players? Everybody's boards built a little different. Everybody's scouting agency is a little bit different. Not everybody uses Belichick's uh, father scouting uh, system. You know, everybody's got their own little things that they do. I feel confident in saying that. Now they've got a second round pick, a third round pick, a fourth round pick, a fifth round pick. No sixth. They got three sevenths, and there's going to be cons- compensatory picks drop as well. We'll get those announced uh, to you guys as soon as they become available. But again, wanted to point out they have the 15th overall pick. Okay. The other thing, and we're going to wrap up here, dates. We're getting in the offseason, and I know the playoffs are still going on, but, hey, we're still going to talk Packers. We can watch playoff football and enjoy that, you know, the crowning of a new champion and all that stuff um, and still talk about how does this affect the Packers. There's already coaches being fired. Cliff Kingsbury's out. I'm not going to go through all of that. Um, If you want that content, shoot me an email and let me know, and uh, and we'll cover that. Um, But – the uh, the main thing I want to focus on, like I said, is the Packers offseason. So what are some offseason dates coming up? Okay, offseason dates coming up. Um, January 16th is the deadline for college underclassmen to uh, enter the NFL draft. So on January 16th, we will know exactly uh, which uh, underclassmen are going to enter into the draft. Then on January 28th, we got the NFL PA Collegiate Bowl. So you're going to get a lot of these all-star games uh, where we can see some of these college players play and play for scouts, right? February 2nd, you got the East-West Shrine game in Vegas. February 4th, you got the Senior Bowl in Mobile, Alabama. Um, February 5th, we got obviously the Pro Bowl. February 12th is the Super Bowl. February 25th is the HBCU Legacy Bowl in New Orleans. And then February 21st through March 7th, uh, teams may use the franchise or transition tag on impending unrestricted free agents. So the date there. February 21st is when you're going to start to see some tags drop, right? I don't see – obviously, the Packers have no one that a franchise tag will be applied to. Now, you're going to have a fifth-year option coming up. I believe that will come up in May, if I remember correctly. I need to double-check that, which will have plenty of episodes to get to uh, in that regard. But um, also, the transition tags and things like that. Yash is a player that's kind of come to mind that it seems as if the Packers will probably retain him, and we need to get into all the details of that. I can't remember exactly what J.J. and I discussed. He had the details of it. Hit him up on Twitter, and he should be able to get you that information and um, and kind of go from there. So, um, yeah, with that being said, February 28th through March 6th, the NFL Scouting Combine. That's as far as we're going to go right now. Obviously, we get into March, we'll get into free agency, but the main thing we wanted to cover right now and look at is February 21st, um, we'll start the franchise tag right before the uh, combine, and we've got a whole lot of college all-star games and uh, and events coming up where we can kind of check out the college players and and see who's uh, coming on strong and all that good stuff. So, um, yeah, I want to read Brooks' email real quick, and we're going to get out. I know we're a little bit long. But again, I wanted to do this. This is Brooke, <clears throat> longtime listener of Packernet Podcast, calls into Packernet after dark from time to time. I got to be honest with you, she's one of my favorites. Um, when she calls in, I listen. Some people, um, it's it's very seldom, you know, Packernet after dark, it's my favorite podcast of all podcasts I listen to. I, I listen to it um, every single day that Ryan does one. 
and I really enjoy it because I love listening to you guys give feedback. Brooke's my favorite because she's just level-headed, man. She's like, you know, it's the sky isn't falling, right? But she still talks about the things that bothers her, and she kind of points out, you know, the things that she wishes would happen. I just think she's a, an awesome fan, and, and I relate to her a lot. This is what she said in the email. <laughs> I'm afraid to even open up the pods today. Already so much Rodgers hate. So many, quote, cut all the free agents and start over. It wasn't a pretty game. It wasn't what we expected. It was actually what I expected, Brooke, to a certain extent. Like, I didn't expect them to come out and just be a guarantee and win that Lions game. But I understand what you're saying there for sure. But, man, everyone gets so angry. If Aaron wants to come back, I 100% want him back. Yeah, I'm curious what love can do. But I don't think we have a chance to get to a Super Bowl next year with him. I agree with that. I do think that that with Rodgers, heal the thumb, clear the head, sit down and talk strategy with the coaches, and try again next year. Uh, I hope love sticks around. I understand it's a business, but I really do think we have another year in Rodgers. I wanted to see him get another ring. Um, I wanted to see him and Crosby and Big Dog and Cobb go out with a bang. Not like this. Nobody wants to end like this. I can't bring myself to read anything on any of the Packers' social media pages because so many uh, want everyone gone and are, quote, oh, we shouldn't, we should have played love to see what we had. No, we should have played hard for the last games of the season like we were going to make a run for it. Uh, we had real genuine hope. Last night's game sucked, and I can't stand seeing people bask in the glory of our failure. Amen, 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 Brooke. I do not understand the people that get excited. They're Packer fans, and they get excited to see the team fail. It just makes no sense to me. Um, and she put other fans in quotations as well. Man, Mondays after a loss really suck. I feel that. Um, and to make matters worse, our loss put Seattle in. Freaking Seattle. All I can say at this point is go Buffalo. Um, hope you have a good offseason, Clayton. Try to keep some positive vibes into the others, could you? Um, definitely going to try to do that, Brooke. Appreciate the email. And I kind of agree with you with Buffalo. It's funny. As soon as the playoffs start and the Packers are eliminated, I'm kind of looking across the board going, who would I like to see win it? Who would I like to see win it? And really haven't had a favorite, a favorite established yet, but I have several fans that live in Buffalo and, or several friends that live in Buffalo. They are begging me to go to a game. Um, it's funny. We were watching the Buffalo-New England game the other day, my wife and I, and she said, I bet that's a cool place to watch a game. And I'm like, you know, you know, Jacob and Willie have like invited us up a dozen times. And she literally looked me and I'm like, why, are we, why have we not gone up there? So I'll probably end up going to a Buffalo game this coming year just to kind of take it in with those guys. Next thing you know, you'll see me on YouTube or Twitter getting smashed through a table, I'm sure. But, uh, yeah, so anyway, Brooke, thank you for the email. I pretty much agree with everything you said. Um, you know, uh, the Lions game, it didn't catch me by a huge surprise. I said it in the pregame show. I didn't give a prediction. The other guys gave a prediction. I kind of set them up for that. What's your prediction? Okay, okay, I ain't give them one. <laughs> but, um, it, you know, I didn't have a great feeling even going into that fourth quarter, but, you could just kind of feel that Detroit was creating momentum. I mean, after halftime, you lose the middle eight, three to nothing, and you lose the turnover differential, two to nothing, you're going to lose that game. Your chances of losing that game is like 93 94%. If, if I would have bet on that game, it definitely would have been on the lines coming out of the middle eight in the second half. But that's one rule I have is I never bet against the Packers because it ruins the experience. And uh, obviously the Packers winning is what – is most important to me. So appreciate everybody's time hanging out with me. Sorry I went a little a little over. It's funny. I was sitting there going, 
do I have enough content to do a show? And then, of course, we go over an hour. But thank you guys so much for hanging out. We really, really appreciate it. Um, we are going to be announcing the Paul Horning autographed jersey giveaway winner on Thursday's show. We're uh, putting all the names together for everybody who donated, everybody who retweeted and followed the account. Um, so that has been cut off. Um, I apologize if you didn't get a chance to get in, but don't worry. We'll be get, be doing a, another giveaway here real soon, and we're going to try to find us. Uh, we may stick with FGR as the charity, but we're going to try to find something else um, that we can uh, help donate to as well. We just want to make sure that we're we're making a difference in this crazy world, and uh, it's just something that it's a part of my tithing um, and how I look at giving back. I'll go purchase some memorabilia, and then we'll see if we can flip it into a, a larger amount of money and donation for a good cause. And, uh, yeah, it's just a way to kind of help someone else out. And you guys have done an excellent job with that. I told you I got to meet Drew at the Rams game. Phenomenal dude. Was so appreciative of what everybody did to help raise the money for his seizure service dog. Um, it's just so cool we can get on here and talk Packers. And uh, how many friends we picked up this year has just been unbelievable. Some of the best people in the world. Uh, meeting them boots on the ground in Green Bay. Also, you know, connecting with them on social media outside of the the idiots that we end up blocking and muting. It, it happens, though. Um, but it's just been a good year, man. I hate that the, the season ended up the way it did. But, hey, that's why we love the NFL, man. It, you know, the NFL stands for not for long. You know, there's always a team. There's always a scheme that's coming on strong. There's always one that's fallen to the back of the pack. There's always a coach that's a darling like Cliff Kingsbury, and then the next year after getting a huge contract extension, he's cut loose. You just can't make this stuff up, man. It's why we love the NFL. It's so unpredictable. But I know this. I'm excited about the offseason. We're excited about walking through the offseason with you guys. Any feedback you got, any ideas you got for the offseason, man, shoot me an email. Let me know. Say, hey, Clayton, I want to try this. Uh at uh, PackersTotalAccess at gmail.com, and we'd love to uh, get your opinion and uh, move this thing forward. It's going to be a great offseason, guys. We're just getting started. So, as always, let's go out and be the change we want to see in the world, and go Pack Go.